ready to sink your teeth into scripture and get a bulldog grip on its truth? Let's gnaw on some doctrine and get bulldogmatic. Here is your host. Hi, my name is Scott. Welcome to Bibles, Bulldogs, and Beards. I'm here with fellow bearded bulldog, <laughs> Pastor William Shiflett. You got to admit that's a unique uh, that's a unique approach to the beginning of the of that's the, right bearded <laughs> bulldogs. But we like to get a bulldog grip on God's word, Amen. and we're bulldogmatic about most of the doctrines that we talk about right, here. Right. So, so it's good to have you here with you, us today. We uh, at the time of recording, we got some good news. Uh, we were approved to be on the Edify app. So we are now available on Edify. And if you're watching through Edify, welcome here. We hope that we do Edify you uh, through God's holy and precious word. Pastor, uh, did you have a book you wanted to talk about? Yeah, I did want to just highlight this book. It's called Unconvinced. I'll hold it up closer to folks. Unconvinced, a response to Robert N. Wilkins' Is Calvinism biblical? And uh, we have vi- we have listeners who have had questions about Calvinism. Right. It's a little book. It's only uh, 50, 60 pages long, and it deals with the some of these things. So uh, we're going to give away a, a limited number of these. If you're watching and you would like one, uh, either for yourself and getting more clarity about Calvinism, or if you want to pass it on to a friend or loved one who has questions. So if you can reach out to us at the email addresses and whatever we have on the program, we'll be glad to send you one. Limited number, so uh, respond. First come, first serve. Yeah, basically. Um, so you can reach us uh, through through our YouTube channel, and I'm not sure about the Edify app uh, yet. Uh, if, if I have my contact information on that, if not, we'll get it. But uh, you can all go so, uh, also go to Bible Bulldog. Dot com and uh, we have a page for the podcast there. You can contact us through that. And you can also go to Williams Good Word, William Good Word dot com dot org dot org and, and you can request one there as well. Right. So right. we'll be glad to get it to you. Um, and of course we are talking about uh, the Christian life, the book by Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. We're in chapter 10, which is entitled Sons of God, which deals with the uh, doctrine of adoption. Dr. Ferguson starts off and he says, relatively few books have been written on the doctrine of adoption. He said there was one written a a century ago by a Scottish author uh, by the name of Robert S. Candish. And he says the reason is probably that uh, the biblical idea of the fatherhood of God has been changed into a form of universalism. And that when a, he goes on to say, when a great doctrine is misused, it is devalued. Uh, Pastor, why do you think the church has failed in this uh, way by allowing this doctrine to be changed and devalued? Well, you know, my default position is always a failure to know what the Bible says. Fundamentally, the Bible never teaches that we are all children of God in a redemptive sense. I always make that point. We are all God's creatures. Mm -hmm. He created us. So we are all 
we are all children of God in the re, in the creative sense. Right. We are not all children of God in the redemptive sense, because you know Jesus says, of course, Paul the the whole the whole concept of adoption implies you're outside the family and need to be brought into the family. Right. But Jesus refers to the Pharisees and says, "You're of your father, the devil." Right. Uh, and so there there are many passages like that, and it's just a failure of the Christian church to know and or to be willing to stand for what the Bible says. A lot of times it's a mad, not a matter of people don't know, but they just don't have the courage to say, well, that pastor, that sounds so exclusive. That sounds so limiting. But I didn't say it. God in his word says it. And Amen. if we're going to say that we're people proclaiming the truth of the word, then we have to make this little caveat. You are not one of God's children until you have been adopted into his family because you put your faith in Christ. Right. And that is just, I just think those are the things. But again, uh, for anyone listening, you know, because you're here in the church, this is one of my greatest concerns is our total lack of knowing what the Bible says right. as Christian people. Exactly. And, and you touched, you just touched on it. It's because of Christ. And, you know, a lot of times we get into talking about like justification, regeneration, and adoption in and, and these important doctrines, and we get into the details, and sometimes we forget to say uh, it's all of this is because what Christ has done in our behalf right. on the cross. He came, he was born by a Virgin Mary, he lived a sinless life, he was crucified, dead, and buried. He rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, and sets at the right hand of God the Father, making intercession for us. And right. it's because what Christ has done in our behalf it is the reason for all these doctrines. Right, exactly. We exactly. talk about. Uh, Dr. Ferguson goes on, he says that uh, we, we've just talked about justification and we talked about regeneration uh, as well. And he said that... Uh, that adoption is not justification, that some people confuse adoption with justification. And he cites 1 Peter 4.10, and that reads, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. And then God, uh, Dr. Ferguson gives a quote that I thought was beautiful. I actually posted it on social media uh, today. He says, when the light of the gospel passes through the prism of biblical language, we find that it is broken up into many constituent parts, each with its own beauty and glory. Um, do you have anything to add or, or comments on? No, that, that's on that, that is one of the great that is one of the great illustrations of the beauty and wonder of Christ. The, the one I use always is a diamond. It's got multiple multiple facets. Mm-hmm. It is the multiple facets that makes the diamond beautiful and valuable. Right. Okay, it's not just a rock. You know, a diamond, when they first find it, it's just a rock. Right. They chip it, and they cut it, and it has these facets then. That's what makes it beautiful. But each one is a different facet. It's all one diamond, mm-hmm. but it has these different facets, and that's it's the same kind of concept. You put light through a prism, and you get all these different colors, but it's all a product of the one light. And, and the, there are all these facets on a diamond, but they're all the product of God's truth. Mm-hmm. And, and so it is, it's just, it's just one of those fundamental things. And unfortunately, this would tie in, I think, to my previous point that because we're creatures of habit, we tend to get fixated on one 
uh, facet. Mm -hmm. Just as a person would say, my favorite color is blue, so they will only focus on the blue that's coming through that prism. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. And we miss, because we don't turn the diamond, study the diamond, or look at all the other colors in the prism, we don't see the beauty of these other aspects of God's word and his redemptive work on our behalf. We just, we see the love, we see the grace, but we don't see all of these these other things which add to our understanding of love and grace. Mm -hmm. It's not, it's not, well, I believe in God's love. Yes, but define that, unpack that, uh, explore that and see how it comes into your day-to-day life. And for many people, of course, it's just that, well, God loves me, I'm going to heaven when I die. There's nothing about the, the, the now, the moment, the struggle of faithfulness, the wonder of God's provision, the, the, the awareness of his presence. All of that is part of the, is part of the prison, part of the diamond. And we, we just tend so often to get on that one on thing. One focus on one right. thing. And it's all part of God's perfect plan right. of salvation and the perfect plan. Uh, and, Part of his plan for the Christian life, which we're we're talking about. Right. Another thing too, uh, you touched on this uh, in prior uh, podcast episodes that that a lot of people look at these things happening and uh, they try to put them in order or in different steps. Now, adoption is just part of regeneration and justification. Is that correct? Or yeah, yeah. So from our perspective. It has to be described as A, B, C, D, E. Mm-hmm. From God's perspective, it's all part of one work, okay? He justifies us. He, he regenerates us. He justifies us. He brings us to repentance. He justifies us. He adopts us. Right. So it's not like uh, Monday I got justified, you know, or Monday I repented, and Tuesday I was justified, and Wednesday I, I was regenerated, and Thursday I was adopted. It's not like that. That's a sequential thing that we have to have in order to understand it but 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 it's one work okay right. again it's that one diamond that one prism of light not not 5300 of them right. and if i could i always worry that i'm i'm beating a dead horse but could we, we must bring into that discussion the understanding that part of the work is a response of surrendered living and obedience to christ exactly and uh, so so that's that's an important point mm-hmm. yeah Dr. Ferguson also says that uh, adoption is not regeneration. And he quotes John 1, 12 through 13. That says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And, you know, Dr. Ferguson says, here two things are involved in bringing us uh, to sonship. We are born again and thus given the nature of sons, but we are also given an adoptive right so that we have a true status as sons commensurate with our new nature. Now, could you make that a little bit easier to understand uh, for me and perhaps a, a viewer out there? Okay, so the last, uh, the last in our previous chapter, we talked about the legal language, okay? So it is possible in that culture, as in this one, for a man, and of course this is, I'm trying to illustrate so don't make a, 
uh, apples to apple. It's not an apple apple comparison because obviously God is not uh, capable of the first. But a man has children in an, in the ancient culture by two different wives. Mm-hmm. He's only married to one of those wives, okay, or the other one is a secondary wife, so that the child from that marriage does not have as many rights as the first child until he adopts him and gives him his name. Right. So that's a that's one of the things I would think of. Uh, in that culture, you had uh, there were there were numerous situations where men had multiple wives, the children born to those wives, but only the one that he was quote unquote married to got these benefits. When he adopts that child, even though it's his biologically, he adopts it, then it becomes in it 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 is then entitled to all the blessings the other children have. And again, that you got to be careful with that analogy, but but that's the, the the fundamental concept behind it. He said it's made a little bit clearer in First John three one, and that reads, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are." The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Now, how does that make it a little bit clearer for us? Well, I think it goes back to the beginning. What we said, you have to be in Christ. You have to be, uh, you have to have received Christ as your Savior. Right. And it is through that relationship that we are adopted into his family. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not just who we are in and of, in and of ourselves as human beings. Right. He goes on, he says, God has done what no man can do. And he quotes Second Peter 1, 4 which says, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful uh, desire. So God has done what no man can do. do. In adopting us, he has also given us the nature of the Father. Can you expand on this and tell us why that's important? Well, now you're really getting into a heavy doctrine, yes. but but, fundam- but but the fundamental thing is, as Peter goes on in that passage, is that we have, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, the ability to live out this life of holiness and righteousness, mm-hmm. uh, not of ourselves, but because of him. You may be partakers of the divine nature. It does not mean, and this is where I hesitate, because describing this is... It's difficult, but it's also varied within the history of the Christian church. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the term divination is, is used sometimes to describe this. It's the idea that, that somehow we partake or particip- participate in divinity. We are not divine. We never will be divine. Right. But there is a sense in which we are in a relationship now with the divine that uh, transforms us and allows us to be in the world. I think it's a passage in John where he, where John says, as he is in the world, so are we. Through our, uh, relationship, our affiliation with him, our connection to him, we are living out the, the, the power and the life of holiness and righteousness. Mm-hmm. Not perfectly, as we all know, right. but we are striving for that. It's not just a the idea of, again, praying a prayer, going to church. There's something more there. 
And that something more is we are partakers of his nature through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, and the shaping that the Holy Spirit does in our lives, which we typically call sanctification. Would it be fair to say that we are to be reflections of his divinity? We never, we never will be divine, but we right. should be reflections of his divinity. Is yeah. that a fair statement? Uh, yeah, I'm afraid that one would get a little bit... Misunderstood, maybe? Misunderstood, but a little too, if I can use this phrase, and if it's the right phrase, a little too metaphysical rather than practical. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to, I don't know how to demonstrate God's divinity in life. I know how to demonstrate the character of his divinity, like love and mercy and so forth. But, but to just, but it's a little bit harder to talk about. Maybe uh, it would be better to say we should be a reflection of his holiness rather than his divinity. Yeah. That would, I that think would it, be yeah. a much better. Right. I think that there, you know, the old uh, description of, of the immutable and mutable attributes, the ones that can be shared and the ones that can't be shared. Right. We cannot share his divinity. We can share, or he cannot share his divinity with us, but he does share his holiness with us and his mercy and his love. So though, that would be a better way of saying it, I think. Dr. Ferguson goes on, he says that uh, we're given a new status, which I think we're going to get into a little bit deeper. He said it's not subject to degrees, now, what he means there is uh, the same as what we talked about with justification, correct? That uh, there's not different stages of adoption. I mean, uh, once you're adopted, you're adopted, right. and, and that's it. Uh, he said that we're, we're given a new status, fully known in glory, when we bear the image of Christ. And he cites Roman chapter 8, 16 through 19. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But what we know is that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as what he is. So everything that God has done in us is to make us conform to the image right. of Christ. Right. Is that right. correct? Yeah. Romans eight twenty eight. He predestined us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Now, I always confuse these two passages, whether it's Romans 12, where he says, don't be conformed, but be transformed, mm-hmm. or whether it's Romans 8 about uh, being predestined to be conformed. Right. But I think it's in... Um, uh, I believe it's Romans chapter 8 where the word conformed is what the word from which we derive the word blueprint. Okay. Here's, here's the blueprint. Follow the blueprint. And when you do, uh, and we have this in our culture right now, when you drive it past a, a subdivision and every one of the houses looks exactly alike, yeah. even the, yeah. even the siding is what's going on. They're being built according to the blueprint. So while you and I would have different physical appearances, different likes as far as recreation, food, etc., we we all should bear the same uh, spiritual attributes of Christ because the Holy Spirit is building us according to that blueprint. Right. And uh, 
And, and that's what, so that's what we strive. And this is so important in a culture where everybody's striving to be unique. There is, and they, they fail, of course, because everybody jumps on the bandwagon. Right. And we see this with this uh, gender, what I will call gender nonsense. Everybody says, I'm going to be myself. And later on, you've got 500 people who are making the same claim. So now you're no longer unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Christian is not to be unique in the, in the reflection of Christ. There's only one blueprint there. Yeah. Maybe a hundred things about our lives that are different, but there's one blueprint of Christ, and that's what the Holy Spirit is building us after, mm-hmm. and to reflect and to represent in the earth. Now, that's where the degrees come into play, correct? Because each one grows in their own um, way, I guess, or or not way is a bad term, but degrees. We all have different degrees of sanctification. Would you agree? I would say I would say two things. First, I would say yes, in the sense that we're all at a different point in our journey. Mm-hmm. Some people just it takes longer for them to get it, okay, than yeah. other people. And of course, all of us can lament uh, that I I wanted to be this by now and I'm not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can, we can lament that. I but I also think that that part of what Dr. Ferguson is getting at is that again we're looking at those different facets. So degrees, even though that word can be used in a better way of saying it may be different facets. So here's one facet of sonship. Here's another facet of sonship. Here's another facet of sonship uh, would be the way that I would describe it. He talks about the meaning of adoption. His is the regenerating power which plants the divine seed in our hearts. And he quotes 1 John 3, 9. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seeds abide in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. And Dr. Ferguson says, His is the declaration which makes us his sons and daughters. Now, what, what is he talking about there? Can you explain it a little bit uh, better? Uh I don't or know. Can you give uh, what? What would your? Let me ask it in this way, because that was probably a bad, a bad question. What would your definition of the meaning of adoption be? A biblical definition of adoption. Well, a, a biblical definition would be simply to take something that wasn't yours and make it yours. Mm-hmm. So, and of course, in salvation, this is where the, the whole concept of the divine seed, His Word comes into play. We can't do that on ourselves. No man can make us children of God. Only God can do that by implanting the word. And Peter and James both say it's the living word. It's engrafted to your soul and, right. and it begins to grow and spring up. So that's that would be one of the ways that I would express it is this God takes something that wasn't his and makes it his. Mm-hmm. That's the wonder and glory of, of the whole salvation experience. We once were lost, but now we're found. We were strangers to the blessings of Israel. Now we are Israelites, spiritual Israelites. So so that's one of the things that I would say about that. Well, he does it. That's a good definition, too. And, and the importance of the Word of God is, uh, you know, sometimes Christians were a little flippant towards the, the Bible and the Word of God, but that's how God reveals himself to us. Um, it, it's, it's, how the, it's how he reveals himself to us. It's also how he does the work in our hearts, which is so tragic when you when you hear stories about churches that don't mention God, 
They don't read the Bible. And I, you're scratching your head saying, why do you even call yourself a church now? Because it is the word of God. It's not our effort. It is the word of God that makes it happen. I uh, uh, Jesus says to Peter, you know, where are you going to go? Are you going to leave me as well? In John chapter 6, Peter mm-hmm. says, where will we go? You have the words of eternal life. So God's word is what does it in us. And and we cannot hope to impact the world with the gospel if we never share that word without apology, with 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 uh, with graciousness If we, at times. Certainly there are going to be times when we have to be more forceful, but we should always share the word. And if we aren't convinced uh, that the Bible is God's word, then we shouldn't be talking to anybody until we have a study and figure that out for ourselves. Right. Uh, and then if we were to decide, and some people have, they, they say, well, you know, I thought it, I lived that way, but now I'm, I've decided that I don't believe it anymore. If that happens, I argue that they've, they've missed something in Scripture that they never, that it had never been wrestled with before. Mm-hmm. And and I can't give you any other answer but the Word of God. Right. Yeah, we had it on our sign last week. All we can offer is the Word of God. Right. And that sounds like I, I when I put that on the sign, I thought I'm somebody's going by go go by the church and say, "Well, boy, you don't have much vision." And the the point isn't whether we got fifty three programs. The point is the programs are worthless without the word of God. Exactly. So the only lasting thing we have to offer is not a big praise team, not the best singing, not the best preaching, not the best facility, the word. That's really all any church has to offer their communities and their and their attenders is the word of God. Exactly. As he has done with other uh, doctrines. Dr. Ferguson goes back to the Old Testament to uh, to take a look at this particular doctrine, the doctrine of adoption. And he says, in the Old Testament, no legal provision was made for adoption uh, because family structures were of such a nature that it was virtually unnecessary. So my question to you is, how are family structures different today than they were in the Old Testament. Well, obviously, the biggest change is the breakdown of the nuclear family. The idea that we cannot, we don't have to be married, that our children don't have to know their father or their mother, as we see in homosexual relationships. Homosexuals adopting children or having them through surrogate mothers and then telling them, well, you don't have a mother. Well, of course, that's that's wrong. so that would be that would be the biggest thing in the Old Testament and in previous cultures and in cultures around the world today where you don't have the kind of woke madness that's in America. The the idea of mother, father, and children is still vital to that. So there would be no there would be no concept of a of a child being adopted into a family. However, I would I would like to say there's a slight nuance of adoption that that phrase might not be used in the Old Testament, but there is a, a, the concept of adoption of sorts, of sorts when there was the death of a husband, a man dies, and his brother takes the family. 
mm-hmm. and as his wife and raises that woman and or his children. And in fact, if he doesn't have children, the, the brother is supposed to, to, uh, uh, I can't, I hate when I can't think of the word. He is supposed to raise up children for his brother. He's supposed right. to have sexual relationships with his brother's wife, who's now his wife, mm-hmm. so that there will be those children. So there is a hint of adoption mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, even though that phrase might not be used. Right. But, but that's the, that's the fundamental concept of, of, of adoption. And you become part of this family and the idea of family today has just been twisted and perverted and ripped apart. Well, family is, uh, the family is uh, God's concept. He gives right. us, he gives us the family. And right. there's a reason that he gives us the, the concept of family. And of course, the, the, the Bible says that the devil seeks to kill and destroy. And one of the things I see is the attack on families nowadays. So, uh, Satan is, he's seeking to destroy the family right, unit, right. Uh, biblical right. family unit. Yeah. And, yeah the, uh, the first thing you see God do in the Bible is create the family. Right. Adam and his wife, and he says to Adam and his wife, multiply and replace the earth. Right. So, so you have that, that's the very first idea. The family is first. And, of course, we know that because you can't have anything else in society unless you start with the family somewhere. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Christ himself confirms that when he says one man right. and one woman right. shall be joined together right. uh, in, in marriage. So uh, the family has been, is, is being, seek, uh, the devil is seeking to destroy the family uh, along with marriage, which uh, is, is really being destroyed in this country, in our country, uh, unfortunately. To be continued, we will continue this conversation in the next episode. And it keeps getting more and more interesting. Be sure to like and share this with your friends, and be sure to subscribe to our channel. Thanks for listening.